Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. This is going to be the next competitive battleground over the next 10 years. I think with AI and everything else coming along, then I think that providing customers with a proactive experience is going to be really key. And, and again, it's going to be, you know, that classic first mover advantage, basically. Yeah, I remember a few years ago when my daughter rolled her eyes at me and, and said, email is for old people, Dad. I said, what are you brand new. What are you talking about? You need a theory. You need to use that data to construct some kind of model or some kind of predictive theory about what that historical tells you about the person's motives, about their emotions, about their understanding, because it's that understanding, whether it's as I would articulate it in a theory form using words or whether it exists in the form of a model that can use predictive analytics to tell you where it's going. Ryan, I've got a question for you, mate. Great, let's hear it. How many widgets do you have in your smart stack? I'm so glad you asked. If I was a more secure person, I would just admit that I don't know what two of the words in that sentence were, <laughs> but I'm not. So I'm just going to go ahead and pretend like I know what you're talking about and say four. <laughs> Excellent. You know what? If I was a gambling man, I would have took a bet that you wouldn't know the answer to that question. <laughs> So why do I ask you that question? So for, for those I of you... to humiliate me, um, which, well done. Yeah. yeah, you're pretty accurate when it comes to yeah. that, yeah. Well, that's all this week, folks. <laughs> we will. Yeah. Yeah, we've achieved, uh, achieved our goal. So the reason that I asked you that is Apple, on the Apple phone the other day, I noticed that it started to suggest widgets. So widgets are... Uh, proactive suggestions of, of apps that you may want to use. And they're basically getting quite smart in the sense of going, when you're normally doing this at this time of day, you normally access this app, and therefore, shall we create a widget, which is a neat way of accessing apps and, and doing stuff, basically. So it's just trying to automate your iPhone usage, essentially? Yeah, it's automating your iPhone uses. And here's the key word, okay? It's being proactive, so I didn't ask my iPhone to do that, but it's done it for me to try to help in my customer experience. Got it. And you know, as well as I do, that we've banged on about this whole area of sort of customer science where we get in the convergence between AI and data and behavioral science. And one of the key things that I think that's going to come out of that is the ability to provide a proactive experience. So I thought that what we should do today is to talk about how to create a proactive customer experience. Make sense? I love it. And knowing that the two of us aren't clever enough to just talk about building a proactive experience. So I reached out to Vasily Tryan, who's the Chief Operating Officer of UJet. And Vasily looks at all the go-to-market activities, including sales, alliances and customer success. And I asked him to join us in this debate. So welcome, Vasily. 
Thank you, Colin. Thank you for having me here. I'm I'm just curious, by the way, does uh, Colin or, or uh, Ryan, are you revising your answer now to one widget or just a four? <laughs> and, uh, I still think I'm fairly ignorant of the whole process, so I'm going to pretend like I was confident before and stick with four. The four is probably a good number, as good as any, yeah. but... Um, yeah. But this whole area of proactive experiences is, is fascinating. So before we go down that route, Vasily, maybe you just tell us a little bit about yourself and a, a bit about UJet. Yeah, so I've been at UJet a little over two and a half years. You know, we're a pioneer in next generation of cloud contact center applications, typically called cloud contact center as a service. But I've been in this space a little over 20 years. Started originally as, actually I became a reseller deploying phone systems when, when everything was on-premise. A couple of my engineers, we sold a system to a company that says, hey, I need a call center. And didn't I honestly didn't really know what it was, except that I know you're supposed to press one for something and two for something else. <laughs> and uh, some of my engineers couldn't figure out how to program the system to do what, what that company wanted. And so I took it and just did it myself at night and, and really was like, oh, this is, this is kind of interesting. I can change things to make it better than what they wanted. And I, you know, kind of fell in love with that. And I've been in the contact center space. I think they call that adding widgets to a smart stack. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the widget adder myself. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it because it was, you know, eventually I ended up changing my own experience by doing that, that programming and the customer ended up liking it. And I realized that the, the power to change how we all are treated and how we're engaged by brands and services was really in the hands of of kind of two people, one, the company itself, and two, you know, me being the person deploying that technology. Yeah. No, interesting background and, and exactly right for this subject, because I know that UJet provides some things like predictive intelligence that we'll come on and talk about. Let's start off with a basic question, maybe to maybe I could ask both of you. What's the advantage of a proactive experience for a customer? I've got an even more basic question. How do each of you define proactive? Good question. Well, yeah, that is a good question. So I would say the way to define proactive customer service right now, because candidly, it's not really something that's used in mainstream. So the definition is, is a little bit fluid at this point. But the way I define or we define proactive customer service right now is when the brand or a company is reaching out to you to solve your problem before you've touched them. So there have been some leading indicators that you have a need and I'm going to reach out to you to say, hey, you know, Ryan, I, I see that you're looking for some answers and I may have those answers for you. And, you know, the best way to kind of relate it to other things that we have in our lives is when you're out searching for information about a trip, uh, airline flight or something like that. Maybe you're just out on Google and you're kind of trying to find other people's opinions. Next thing you know, a lot of things are teed up to you. So we get proactive sales experiences and that's how I kind of related into the proactive customer service. I totally agree. It's effectively doing something for the customer before they've asked for it to be done. And I think that that was a that's a good example. Would you define it as something different, Ryan? No, no. Both of those work for me. Just uh, you know, as Vasily hinted at in his answer, I get real cautious when words and terms become too popular or when sure. they become faddish because I, I do think there's a lot of instances where people use the terms to mean whatever they want them to mean as opposed to an agreed upon definition and no I think both of those are, are consistent and and are reasonable so let's let's use those good 
So why would a customer, why would an organization want to provide a proactive experience and what's the advantage for the customer? Any thoughts? I'll jump in. I mean, why a, a company would want to do it is because you would make your customers happier. They would realize that you're in touch and providing a personal experience to them. Think of it like if you're a platinum member of a hotel or an airline, right? You feel more important. You feel special. If you're able to do a proactive experience, you now feel like someone is looking at you as call-in versus looking at you as you know, a customer group that bought you know, products or services X, Y, and Z. And if you do that, then you turn around and you're like, I want to buy or I want to have that experience again, right? I want to buy another product from that customer. Or I'm going to engage their services again. It's, it now becomes a positive engagement versus, I mean, if you pretty much talk to anybody out there, including any of us, you know, 99% of the interactions we have for customer service are negative. And so when we have a need, we're kind of like, oh, great. Do I really want to make that call? Do I really want to hit chat? Do I really want to send an email? So the benefit there is you're going to drive as a company, you're going to drive better lifetime value. And as a customer, you're going to feel more positive. You get time saved in your day. You get you know treated specially. And yeah, that's, that's the way I look at it. And the bit I would add to that is you actually end the organization can end up saving costs, can't they? Because, you know, if the customer is going to end up making a phone call or whatever else, if you can deal with the, the problem they've got or the issue they've got before they even know that they've got it and therefore either don't have it or, in fact, I, this happened to me the other day. I can't remember what it was, but I got a text through effectively explaining something that was just about to happen. So, in other words, don't phone in because this is just about to happen. Now, that's a very basic, proactive experience, but you get the idea. It, it can end up saving costs as well, can't it? Absolutely, because we spend, you know, as customers, we spend a lot of time sitting on hold or sitting in queues, even, even in chat nowadays. And we think of it as, one, it's our own time, but actually on the other side, for the brand, they're actually paying for that time as well, right? When you're sitting on hold in an IVR queue, they're actually paying per minute, whether it's telco costs or otherwise for the technology, people tend to forget that. They look at other metrics that have nothing to do with, with all those other additional costs that go along with it. So maybe let's move the conversation on to, so how, how do you go about building a proactive experience? And I, I've written a list here of things that I think are important. So let me kick this off. Uh, and then let's um, get you guys to, to comment as we go. So the first thing for me is you've actually got to understand the customer. And that goes back to one of the, the key parts that Ryan and I talk about, which is segmentation. And another key part for us is this whole area of understanding the customer at a much deeper level. In other words, you know, understanding some of their motivations, understanding that what customers say and what customers do can be different things. So understanding them at a sort of a more behavioral science type of, of level. And maybe even, in fact, we, we're doing some work with a client at the moment where they were talking about how they observe what the customers are doing when they're making this product and, and how they are looking at what the customer is physically doing. And it's that's obviously through ethnographics. What's your thoughts, Vasily? Well, I'll be a little sarcastic here. I think the first uh, place to kind of 
start driving a customer proactive experience is you have to hire the right people that are paving the way for change. I think that a lot of times we look at technology or we look at process, but the real barrier to getting to this place is you have to have people like Ryan that understand how many widgets that are on their <laughs> phone, right? No, no kidding. That's <laughs> the answer you're looking for. I can save everybody yeah. some time. Yeah, but no, you, you need someone who's in the position that's going to be creating the process and deploying the technology that actually is willing to make the change and take a risk and understands what that journey's like. And we are, this industry is filled today with people that just want to do the same thing that they've done before, maybe incrementally better, but why do I want to disturb my job and, you know, make, you know, a bunch of problems potentially that happen in the company because with change, you're going to have some speed bumps, right? So I know that doesn't go along with like the, the beautiful kind of like understanding the profiles and demographics of the customers, which I, by the way, are completely relevant. No, I, I think you make a good point. And um, because the, the danger is, is if you haven't got those people that believe in all that stuff and are prepared to do it and make the change, then you're not going to go anywhere, are you? No, no. So I think that first you need that. I think the, the second part is saying, okay, like you said, I mean, understanding the customers, but breaking it down a little bit more like, okay, what, what things are they getting from us? Where are they getting them? And then what are kind of our common challenges we've seen historically? Where's that data coming from? And then also looking at separating those customers a little bit deeper around, you know, demographics, preferences of methods of communication. Some people call it channel preferences, but the way the technology world's going right now, I don't think we're going to be looking at channels anymore. It's going to be like app preferences, like our, our kids, you know, looking in other kind of social apps, like, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, and whatever kind of the next widget. I, my kids have all these apps on their phones. I don't even know what they do anymore, but I know there are some type of messaging apps. And that way, when we understand all those pieces, we can really then say, how do we want to be proactive when we grab this data? Because just grabbing it and saying, I want to be proactive now, if you sent my kids an SMS, they would respond with some like WT, like it, they, you wouldn't even understand what they're even trying to talk about. And they wouldn't even understand how you're engaging with them. So, Yeah, I remember a few years ago when my daughter rolled her eyes at me and, and said, email is for old people, dad. Email is brand new. I, what are you talking about? So yeah, but no, these, these even modes of communication go, are generational and go kind of in and out of, of preference. So you said something there, Vasily, two things in there that makes me think and were on my list as well. So one is the data that you've got, okay? And maybe you could talk a bit more about that. The second area is once you've got the data, where it's sort of stored, not physically where it's stored, it's all right having data, but unless you look at it in the right way and it's in a usable format, then, you know, you're going to go nowhere, are you? Absolutely. I, you know, we talk a lot in the industry today, in the tech industry period, right? Forget just customer service about data, right? And there's all these, you know, BI tools out there that are assimilating data from all these different sources. But the question is like, what are you doing with that data? And I mean, I'll say something a little bit sarcastic, you know, like, you know, 22 years ago, I worked at a company and we, man, we used to generate the most beautiful reports. I mean, we had data up the wazoo 
And we would sit in meetings and show all these reports and everybody would look at me like, oh my God, that's great data. But then you left and everybody just did the same thing they were doing the day before. Like you didn't actually change anything. Years even before that, you go back into the 80s and you would use that data for things like just-in-time inventory and kind of created like process efficiencies in manufacturing. But from there, we look at data historically and we look at it to discuss what happened. But what we need to shift towards and where the market is going is taking that data and real time looking at what other things are happening right now, like our conversation right now, that match a previous interaction and what were the best responses? What were the answers that gave the best sentiment, that created the best first contact resolution, that made that person become a higher lifetime value to us as a company? And you're looking at that data across thousands of interactions. And if you take that data and utilize it in that way, you're going to have a much better end result, both of the experience and financially for you as a company. We still are using that day-to-day as like a historical view. Like, hey, by the way, our net promoter score is X. And why is our net promoter score that way? And we keep looking at historically and we want to make minor tweaks or we say we deployed the wrong channel. But we need to move more into kind of real-time analyzation of that data and leveraging the technologies that can affect you and I right now. Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. So thinking about this then from, uh, you know, the average organization, and I know you must deal with loads of them. Do people get that? And if they do get it, why do they not do anything about it? There are a good portion of people that understand when you talk about that message, it turns the light bulb on and it sounds really great, but then you're back into your kind of normal job the next day, right? Of, okay, I now have to interact with multiple departments within my own company and I have to now convince everybody of the same change I want to make, but then they have all these other day-to-day priorities that don't match that, right? I mean, you have to actually talk to engineering and you have to talk to IT and you have to talk to marketing, but they all have their own preferences. And so these things fall to the back burner. And candidly, it's the reason why the technology is there. We're behind in the implementation of that technology across the entire customer experience industry. And the way to really change it would be someone at the very top or someone who starts a company and says, this is the way we're going to do it from the get-go. And that's why we see you know, brands come and go, like the small companies come and everybody's like, oh my gosh, how did that company all of a sudden become a billion dollar competitor in our organization or in our, in our industry, right? And, and we're still sitting here as a laggard now. Any thoughts on this, Ryan, data and, and sort of storage and getting people to actually use it? Well, I, I want to reinforce one of the points that, uh, that Vasily made with regards to data being historical. It's a historical record. And so it's inherently backward looking. And the challenge is and has always been 
how do we use historical data to look forward? And I think I'm, I'm just kind of rephrasing uh, some of the points Vasily was making, but essentially, you know, if we were to put it in the terms that I use as a behavioral scientist, you need a theory. Like you, you need to use that data to construct some kind of model or some kind of predictive theory about what that historical tells you about the person's motives, about their emotions, about their understanding, because it's that understanding, whether it's kind of, as I would articulate it in a, in a, a theory form using words or whether it exists in the form of a model that can, you know, use predictive analytics to tell you where it's going. It's still at heart some kind of construct that has some causal mechanism in it that points us forward towards anticipating under this set of circumstances, what's the likely outcome to be and why. And that's what's really valuable and hard. And that's what's been missing a lot of times when when we look at data where we, we treat it as a static universe. So this is what historically has happened. And so therefore, it will always continue to happen in this way forever. And that that's, of course, not reality in any industry. And I guess in reality, with all of the what's been happening over the last couple of years, pandemic and everything else, all of that historic data is potentially now wrong, isn't it? Because it was based upon the way people used to react rather than the way that they react now. I'd be interested in, in having Vasily weigh in on that. The way that I talk to my students about it, it's always better to have something than nothing, right? So it's always better to have the data. But yeah, my I mean, my advice is you always have to take this stuff with a grain of salt. So this the historical data is always the starting place. And then the better your your data and your understanding, the better your starting place. But if you don't season that with some understanding of of where things are going or how things have changed, and you know, I, I teach marketing classes. And part of the role of marketing is to disrupt markets. We want to innovate. We want to change. And that will degrade then the value of this historic data. So you need this additional level of understanding, this additional, these predictive models that, that include some cause and effect and some understanding of what's really valuable to your customer. Vasily, your thoughts? Historical data, I think, is the foundation of where you need to begin because you have to have a starting point to then create kind of a model that learns from that, right? So maybe it's not the greatest and maybe it's incomplete. And I'll talk a little bit about incomplete in a moment, but you start with that to understand, you know, what are the historical understandings of those interactions and how do they result that use that basis for how you want to start to be proactive. And then your new interactions are now adding to that model and maybe they weed them out over time. There are things that are changing you know, especially post COVID that didn't exist before. So part of what you're saying is true, but you're never going to know, you're never going to have a starting point if you don't kind of take that historical part. So it's at least like, let's call it like, you're going to start with like a C plus grade average, right? And then your model will learn over time. The other part though, is we have to look at different data points. Like when you look at a lot of the models that think about keyword analysis and sentiment understanding, the models start with a build around words that we see as a correlation to either a negative or a positive experience, right? Like the word frustrated or you know, you're pissing me off or something like that, right? So it listens and grabs and says, oh, negative sentiment, you know, red flag type of thing. But you know, I'm going to use a personal experience that I had recently that would change and engage a positive experience, but I know that data doesn't exist in that interaction because no one was looking for it in the first place. I was on a 
I, I booked a trip. I called into well, the X level of frequent flyer that I was at that airline. And I said, Hey, I need to make sure I get a flight that gets in by a certain time because I have a meeting at 2 PM in the afternoon in Manchester and I have to catch a train that'll get me there. Right. So they, you know, figured out all my logistics, booked my flight. No one thought none the where of that interaction, right? It was positive, And maybe someone would have been looking for like, you know, intonations in my voice. Well, fast forward, I get on the first leg of my flight, land, everything's great. Second leg of my flight started to be delayed, right? And I would get the notifications from the airline. Hey, your flight's delayed, Mr. Tryant, you know, don't worry, we're going to take off. But actually, if they would have listened to that first interaction and understood I had a meeting that was conditional on me catching a train by 1130, they would have already been able to forecast that one... I was not going to make it. And two, they need to take action to go ahead and get me somewhere else or get me back home or whatever it may be. And instead of waiting for me to call in, and of course, at that point, I'm frustrated, right? Now my whole work trip was a disaster. Those are things that where we have to look at the data that exists, but we weren't looking at it the right way. Because even in when people talk about proactive experience today, we're looking for kind of like standard terms and words and intonations but we need to be smarter about it because there's other things that come to play. How does UJet use the ability to predict things and predictive intelligence and stuff? Yeah, I think the first thing to understand is we have the tool sets both in, in artificial intelligence and in machine learning to create these proactive experiences. We have SDKs that can embed themselves to get more data like geolocation and where you're spending your time looking for information, whether it's on the web or in a mobile app of a customer, but they don't mean anything if we can't get them integrated into the process. So when you say like, how does UJet help in it? We've built the tool sets to do that understanding, to do intent detection, to do sentiment analysis, to also understand all those places where you're coming from. But it's really up to the decision makers and the people that are managing the customer experience and the brand to take those tool sets and essentially tell us how to put them together, right? There's some things I could show you out of the box and you might say that's cool, but they're only going to be applicable to a on-demand tech company. But to a hotel, it would be something different. So we provide all the tool sets to do that and we provide a vision Like we talk a lot about this. I'm super passionate. The only reason why I'm in this space is I'm so passionate about how we can affect our personal experiences and someone's got to drive that change. So I spend a lot of time trying to talk to those decision makers about getting over that risk adverseness and moving into paving the way in a market. Are there questions that clients have come to you with that you think have been exceptionally good or exceptionally bad questions from the perspective of creating a forward-looking customer experience? Like, do people come to you and say, here's the problem we want to solve? And, you know, without, you know, besmirching any clients, you think to yourself, oh, that's the wrong question. (laughs) Or there are clients who have come to you and said, this is the problem we want to solve using using this data. And you go, you've got it. Like, that's that's what you want to be using this for. So I'll see, let me see the, which one I want to start with. Well, I'm going to finish on the positive. So let me start with like the, the kind of dumb questions. 
our industry is littered with marketing messages, right? Like all the, I mean, if you look at some of the things out there and you read the marketing messages, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, we're going to be like in flying cars soon. And you know, no one will need gasoline anymore. It'll be amazing. The, the dumb questions typically are someone comes and says, I need a chat bot because I want to deflect my customers and reduce my agent count, right? It's, it's always something similar to that, or I need to put in speech analytics, I think speech analytics is kind of one of the ones that, that always makes me chuckle a little bit because my first question is why? And the answer is, oh, I want to I want to see how my agents are doing. I want to see where people are frustrated. If you look in the past all the time, you're like, oh, you know, someone said the wrong word there or someone said something there. Like, great. You spent a bunch of money so you can understand that you pissed off a bunch of customers when candidly, you can look at a lot of other real-time elements right now and determine that without speech analytics. Right. Just a more expensive, slower way of getting stuff that you could already get. Yeah. I mean, customers are drawn into this speak because whoever has the louder marketing message, I mean, Ryan, you're teaching these people, right? Like <laughs> they, they, they get the right message, right? They say, that's what I need. There, there's been a couple places where I've seen some really good questions. And frankly, it usually comes from someone that's like, Hey, I, I used to be in banking or something like that. And I got this job because a friend of mine is executive and wants me to come in and lead operations or wants me to come in and lead customer experience. So there's no preconceived notion as to what the answer is. And so they're just looking at it like a new person coming into the space, right? It's, it's like, you know, they just ask the question. They think it's stupid, but it's actually, you know, pretty smart. I dealt with this uh, woman uh, by about two and a half years ago. And I, we were just doing some, some chat stuff for them. And she came to me and says, Hey, I really need to figure out how to engage my customers at the mobile app. We are a mobile centric company. The way we tee up our services and our products is through a mobile app. And I really want to engage them there because that then I'll know where they're at. Then I'll be able to keep everything consolidated into one place and they can pivot from one place to another. Can you tell me where I can go buy this? Like that, that was her question to me. Right. And she was on the right path, which is her customers are moving around. They're, they're not at a store. They're not typically sitting at home and I want to know their geolocation. I want to know when they're near my product so that I can prioritize them versus someone else who may just, you know, may have a need for that product or service in two days, but they're not near their product at that point. So you might change the priority versus like first in first out or, you know, someone's platinum, gold, bronze type of thing. So that was one that was, you know, that I liked quite a bit. The other one that, that I love is there are a few customers that'll come and say, what are we doing wrong? Can you look at our data and tell us where we can improve on our process to make our customers happier? It's a generic, broad question, but our engineers like our support people, they see all the data. And of course, now we're looking across a larger subset of customers. And when you're open to those inputs, like we'll do, we do QBRs with our customers and we actually talk about, hey, here's what we see is going well. And also, by the way, here's what we would recommend in order to improve your process. So let's let's just try and get practical in the last uh, few minutes. So if someone's listening to this and they are going, yeah, we definitely need to start to build a, a proactive experience, then what would you suggest that they need to do? Ron, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. I'll, I mean, from my perspective as a behavioral scientist, it's 
proactive means a deeper level of understanding of your customers. And so start with the data, but understand kind of what's what's motivating people, what's driving people, and ultimately what they want and need. You know, I think that the example Vasily gave um, with regards to, to travel speaks to that. At a surface level, people need to get from point A to point B, but if you understand it at, at a deeper level, people have these motivations for travel. They're trying to solve problems. So if you want to be proactive, understand not just that surface level, but deeper interactions from that. Like, can you use these tools to, to suss out the, the why that's driving the behavior? And if you can, then just like in Vasily's example, you might be in a position to solve the problem before it arises, as opposed to just keeping people fully informed so that they're aware of the problem that's coming to smack them in the face. Sure. Yeah. Good point. Vasily? Step out of your job and think if you're a customer of your own business or if your husband, wife, child, whatever it may be, was dealing with your business. One, what's their experience today? And two, how would you want it to change? Without thinking about anything that exists right now, how would you want that process to change? Start there because we need to remove ourselves from our day-to-day job and think about my gosh, like how would I, one, how would I buy the products? How would I buy their services? And then like what would potentially happen if I was using it and how would I engage? When I started talking about proactive customer experience, it all started from issues I was having buying, frankly, like appliances and electronic gadgets at my house because they were all coming from the same brand. But every time I called, they didn't know like who I was. They didn't know like even what model I have. I hate when, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you buy a washer, sure. refrigerator, guess where the serial number is. Yeah, right. It's on the yeah. back, right? The model number's on the back. It's like, hey, can you pull out the washer so you can get the serial number off the back? Yeah. And, and then like, the product number's got okay. about 27 letters and numbers and you can't even read the bloody thing. Yeah, so it's like Just you're already frustrated. Your head and uh, <laughs> tell us what it says on the bottom. Yeah. Well, my wife's gotten to the point where she says, Hey, I, I don't have my glasses. Can you read this number for me? Yeah. You know? So I would start there, right? And engage that whole experience because you're going to find that there's a number of things that you would want to change. That's where I would start. And second thing, like I'd love to have conversations with people to get myself to pretend to be their own customer and think about what are the things that could be done. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I genuinely believe that this and, and as we've started the show off, we're talking about Apple and the widgets and everything else. This is going to be the next competitive battleground over the next 10 years. I think uh, with all of, with AI and everything else coming along, then I think that providing customers with a proactive experience is going to be really key. And, and again, it's going to be, you know, that classic first mover advantage, basically. So, Vasily, thank you very much for joining us for this debate. It's been really, really interesting. If people want to get hold of you, then how do they how do they do that? Yeah, I guess there's two things. One, you could reach out to us at ujet.cx and there's a little button on the top right that says request a demo and, and that'll come to my organization right away and we'll reach out and kind of assess you know, your processes and needs. The other is you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, my name is Vasily Triant. You can find me there and I'm happy to engage kind of one-on-one and just have a good discussion about this whole proactive customer experience. Great. And we'll, uh, we'll put the links in the, the show notes as well in case people didn't have a pen to write all those things down. Uh, so they'll be in the show notes. Vasily, 
I was very proactive. It, it was, wasn't it? it was You're solving problems before they come <laughs> it, up. It will yeah. be in the smart widgets in the show notes. So, a <laughs> <laughs> smart stack, I should say. Anyway, so thanks very much, Vasily, for joining us today. And we look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.